Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, please go ahead and turn to Matthew. Uh, you're going to look for chapter 24, and we're going to be in 24 and 25 this morning. Um, I'm going to select certain passages of that. They're going to be up on the screen. Uh, you can go home and read through these two chapters yourselves. I encourage you to do that. Uh, as you're turning to Matthew 24, 25, I just want to ask you, just show of hands because you can probably do both. How many of you are familiar with or have watched recently either of the Home Alones? Anybody? I know it's a Christmas movie. Okay, yes, good. All right, so you, some of you are familiar with it. How many of you are familiar with it but haven't watched it recently? Does everybody know what Home Alone is? Okay. So if you didn't raise your hand, I understand that there are more than two Home Alones. However, personally, if it's a Home Alone that doesn't include Macaulay Culkin, not true. Not a true Home Alone. They shouldn't have made it, okay? Personal opinion. Um, but in those two Home Alones, if you're not familiar with it, here's the premise of it. Uh, there's a kid who's left home alone, right? You've, you've nailed it. And uh, so what they do is they go on vacation every year, this family, the McAllister family. There's 17 of them. Mr. McAllister must be a baller because he pays for it every year. And uh, so they go and then something happens. And usually what happens is their alarm does not go off. So on the first one, the alarm doesn't go off because somebody was plugging something in. And so they overslept and they almost missed their flight. On the, on the next one, uh, which I think is supposed to be um, time-wise, the very next year, which really kind of makes you question, like, her mothering choices, right, at this point. Uh, but the, they, the very next year, it happens again, and they almost miss their flight again, and that's what separates them. And then Kevin is left, obviously, as you know, home alone to ward off these two uh, would-be ne'er-do-wells, and obviously is victorious over that, and it ends with a very happy ending. Let me tell you a real-life story. When I was in the Air Force, I went what is called Pipeline. And so you went from basic training, then right to technical training, okay? And everything was, was fine. Uh, you can imagine basic training. I never missed an alarm in my life because it was always the drill sergeant coming in. And they were always on time. And so the drill sergeant would come in and flip over bunks or bang on trash cans or pour wa whatever they had to do. So we were up very quickly in the mornings at basic training. Well, after that, I got on a bus and took a ride to Wichita Falls, Okay. Wichita Falls, Texas, and that's where my tech school was at. I was studying munition systems, and what they would do is when you got there, you were very uh, tight-knit, and then as you went, you got more and more freedom after basic training, as you would earn it, okay? Until eventually, in my bunk with my other three guys who were in my dorm with me, uh, we got up by ourselves with an alarm clock, and it was great. It was wonderful to hear that annoying, eh, 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 instead of pots and pans banging. Everything was fine until my very last day there at Wichita Falls. Uh, it is a two-hour, hour and 50 minutes, depending on you how you drive. For me, it was an hour and 30 minutes. Um, it's 120 miles from Wichita Falls to the Detroit, uh, or not Detroit, from the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. And so the military, after I had graduated basic, they bussed me to my tech school. After I was done with tech school, I was supposed to get a taxi or a Greyhound bus or something, get on that, and go to the airport and then fly home. Well, they had paid for the ticket. They were only paying for one ticket. I had a wake-up call, and I missed it. And so I, as an 18-year-old, without GPS, by the way, children, this was before GPS, I did not have a cell phone because I was down there at tech school. I printed off a map, and I drove. I rented a car, and I drove from Wichita Falls 
at speeds that I should not have driven at to make it to Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, and I made my flight. Praise God for that. But just by the skin of my teeth, right? Well, today's message is called Wake Up Call. As you're going to see in the text, and what I hope to tease out this morning, or the argument that I'm making for us is, is this. The exact time of Christ's return is unknowable. And therefore, we must live each day as if it were today. When he returns, our destinies will be sealed. And that's why we have to live every day as if it were today, because we don't know when. And the truth of it is, is if you miss this wake-up call, there's no bus you can rent, there's no car you can drive, it doesn't matter how fast you go, you won't make it. And so let's hear this wake-up call this morning, if you will. Let's pray together, shall we? Dearest Lord Jesus, as we look into your holy word, we ask for clarity. We ask for clarity of mind to hear and understand. We ask for clarity of speech so as to communicate well your word and your purposes. And we ask for clarity of your spirit that you may have your way with each and every one of us. Lord, we admit that we can do nothing without you. And therefore, we ask for your help. We believe and trust that your word is the living power by which your spirit still speaks. And therefore, we come before you now to hear and receive. And we thank you for your provision and goodness to us. So in you, through you, to you, we pray. Amen. So as I said, the, the point or the, the argument that I want to make and tease out this morning starts with this. The exact time of Christ's return is unknowable. And if you're a note taker, there's going to be some blanks for you to fill in there. But first, I want to take you to God's word in Matthew 24, 36 through 39. He says, but concerning that day and hour, uh, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So I want to start by telling you this is a wonderful truth. We ought to exalt in and glorify God in the wonder of this truth. Uh, look at the text as it's not going to be on the screen. You have a copy of God's word, I hope, as you look at that. And I want to show some things to you. Here's some wonderful things that we see in the text. First is this, God's sovereign rule over everything. I mean, over absolutely everything. Perhaps you're a parent. Perhaps you've been a parent. Or perhaps you have parents. Did I cover you? If, you? if you're any of those categories, perhaps you've asked a parent or you've been asked as a parent something that you don't know the answer to. And if your child is little enough, they find it completely strange that you don't know the answer to this because mom and dad are supposed to know everything. Well, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been asked anything about the Bible and you feel embarrassed because of your friends or your family, they ask you something about the Bible, they ask you something about God, and you, you have to sheepishly respond with, you know, I, I don't really know the answer to that. Now, some of that, I think, with study 
with prayer you can answer. But explain to me this. Explain to me how the Son doesn't know, but the Father does, and yet, in the Trinity, there is one God, fully God, fully human, and Jesus, as a part of that Trinity, doesn't know the answer. And like Job, I think we should put our hands over our mouths and just say, the mysteries and the secrets of God are too much for me to bear, and that only should draw us to praise him more and to greater. That is a wonderful truth in this text. Here's another wonderful truth in this text. The son finds it very okay, has no problem with, does not even inquire to know. You see, they love each other with a perfect love. Jesus and the Father and the Spirit all together from eternity past to eternity future living in absolute perfect harmony with one another. And Jesus here in the text has no problem whatsoever submitting to the Father's leadership. In fact, he sees it most glorifies himself as well as the Father to do so. You know, sometimes when I'm doing counseling with people or sometimes when I'm performing a wedding ceremony or sometimes when I've been to a wedding ceremony it gets to that place that place where the wife is asked to be submissive to the husband and sometimes they cringe and sometimes I can even see it sometimes they've they've changed the vows up on stage when they're getting married so it says something slightly different and then I cringe and I think you don't understand the beauty of what it means to submit it doesn't mean that you're less than by no means is Jesus less than the father we're going to see at the end he's going to be sitting on a throne to judge and yet here he understands the beauty and the glory and the magnitude of what it means to place yourself in submission. And so he does that with joy. He does that as an illustration. He does that with an illustration even to his disciples as he washes their feet. And so some of the wonder of this truth that the exact time of Christ's return is unknowable is we see in it the submission of the Son to the Father. We see in it God's sovereign rule over all things. And I also think we see God's divine goodness in his plan. That he has left certain things out. And I would argue for our good and for his glory. That brings me to the next part of this, the mercy in this truth. There is mercy in not knowing the exact time of Jesus' return. And we ought to praise him for the mercy that he gives to us for this. Well, where's the mercy in that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look what it says in the text if you have your copy of God's Word open. It says, For as the days of Noah, so will it be for the coming of the Son of Man. Do you know anything about the days of, of Noah? It says the people did whatever was right in their own eyes all the time. That's not good, okay? In in case that was lost on you, people are not good. Scripture tells us that. That there is none good, no, not one. All have turned aside. All go after their own way. All seek their own things. Just look at, if you don't believe that, just look at the Israelites after being delivered from Egypt. The second that Moses is gone, too long, they build a false idol and they begin to worship that. So it doesn't take us long. 
So before we cast stones at the people who were alive back before the flood, we need to be thinking about ourselves. This is merciful. Why? Because we are then called to be better than we would otherwise be. What do I mean by that? Knowing that the master will return someday, whether you want to admit this or not, knowing that you are going to have to give an account makes you better than you would be otherwise. If you don't believe that, sneak up on your kids after they've got all this Halloween candy and sneak around the corner and see what they're doing. I found a whole bag in Enoch's bed. A whole bag of candy in his bed. I did not know where it was. The only reason I found it is because I was looking for the chocolate myself and I happened to come across it. But I found that in his bed. Listen, if we knew the exact hour and the exact moment and the exact time, think about how terrible would people, people would be up till that point. Think about the, the liberties, the wickedness people would perpetrate if they knew the hour, the moment that they would die. And of course, you're probably thinking, well, not me. Yes, you. Scripture tells us that we are wicked without Christ. So the only thing that makes you not wicked is Christ Jesus. He is the one who paid for and took your wickedness upon himself. And so anybody, just in the days of Noah, this is merciful that God does not tell us because those people who are not going to accept Christ would live like fiends up until that moment. Because either this is your best life now or your best life is to come. And if this is your best life now, then I say, live it up. Because it's only downhill from here. So we see in this a mercy of the man not being worse than he is, but also that we should strive to be better than what we would be otherwise. And then also I see a mercy here because it is the removal of fear and anxiety. You know, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that are going on in our world today that could give us a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. If you remember, we just went through a pandemic, and some would say we're still in it. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I've got to tell you this. I don't really care. The fact is, is that we were called to not be creatures of fear. We're called not to be driven by fear. Not to just be stupid and, and do uh, unstrapped bungee jumping, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that uh, this mercy removes the fear and anxiety of final judgment. Jesus is telling us now that he's going to come. Jesus told his disciples that he was coming back. Jesus told them they needed to preach and teach this wherever the gospel was, that this was part of the message, that he wasn't just crucified and his his body was broken and and then that was it. And he wasn't just resurrected, but that he is then coming back to receive us. He's going away to prepare a place. He's coming back to bring us to himself. And therefore, we need not worry. We need not have fear of death. We need not have fear of sword or famine or pestilence. We need not have fear of the end of the world because he has told us exactly what is happening. Do you guys see in this the wonder of this truth and the mercy of this truth that we don't know when Jesus is coming back? Because there's a third part in here. And maybe this is what stuck out to you first, the danger of this truth. And so while we might exalt in this, we might praise in this, we also, and maybe you're here this morning, we ought to cower at this. This is dangerous. 
We see this because man has a limited perception. Look at what it says in the text there. Those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You see, we have a limited perception, and we have a limited preoccupation. I am so worried about if the haircut that I got is going to look good in time for Sunday morning. I am so worried if, if I'm going to have enough time this afternoon to, to pull up the garden and to rototill it before we have company over. I am so preoccupied with the mundane things of life is what I'm saying. Do you guys understand this? I'm not just telling you the random weird things that I'm worrying about. I'm trying to make a point here. We're worried and we're preoccupied with things that are truly inconsequential. And there's danger in this. There's danger in this because of the rest of this. If we don't know the time or the hour that Jesus is coming back, he could come back right now or now or now, right? Any of those moments, he could come back. And also because it is very clear that in the days of Noah, there are going to be many who are going to be swept away. And so then the question is, so how do we make sure that we're in the boat? How do we make sure that we're with Noah? And so we'll move on to the next head of our message here, but because we don't know when Jesus has come back, there is wonder and mercy and danger in this truth. And so the second part of this, of course, is because we don't know that, therefore we must live each day as if it were today. But you don't have to take my word for it, as LeVar and Burton would say. Matthew twenty four forty two and Matthew twenty four forty four. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Or 44, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then he's going to go on to tell us two parables. Parables of ten virgins and their oil with their lamps when the bridegroom's coming. And then another parable of these three laborers, one with five, one with two, one with one, and how they do or do not work properly during the time where their master is away. And so here are the things I want you to see. When we live every single day as if today is the day that Jesus is coming back, this is firstly, this is wise living. This is absolutely wise living. One of the things that we like to say in our house, because my son has been writing this thing, it's a long story, we don't have time to get into that, but is the proverb, go to the ant, O sluggard, and study of her ways. For she gathers food in the fall, knowing that winter is coming. Now I'm paraphrasing, that's not exactly what it is. You can Google that if you want to know the exact phraseology of that. But if we live every day as if that are the day, this is wise living because we will always then be ready. She's not here, so I can say this. She's probably listening downstairs. I don't know. I'll get it later. It's okay. So one of the downfalls of living at the parsonage which is a blessing. Don't get me wrong. One of the downfalls is living at the parsonage is people know exactly where you live and they kind of come by whenever they want. And that's fine. My wife has this robe. If you guys have ever snuck in on us, then you know what I'm talking about. She's got this ratty white robe that she absolutely loves. I've asked her so many times, hey, what do, you, do you want a new robe for Mother's Day or for your birthday or whatever? She's like, you're never, forget it, right? It's like you guys, you guys with your lucky socks or your special underwear or your jersey from high school. I don't know what you guys got. I throw that stuff away, but whatever. She's got this robe, and we've had people come to our door and see her in this robe. She wasn't ready. 
she was not ready for people, right? But if you live every day and every hour as if people are coming to the house, then when they come, you're ready. As if we live every day, that that's the day that Jesus is coming back, then it is wise living because it is ready. Where it's also wise living because it's going to minimize our regrets. How many of you have regrets? Yeah, that should have hit all of you. If not, then you're a liar. But here's the thing. It minimizes our regrets because if we're living every single day to the Lord, every single moment as if he's going to come back that moment, think of how your life will change. Think about how the end of the day you won't say things like, man, I really should have stopped and talked to that guy on the side of the road about the gospel because you will have done it. And this is wise. And then in the end, we will lose nothing, which is also wise. 1 Corinthians three thirteen through 15. I'm not going to read it. Mark it down. Read it later. And next, not only should we do this because it's wise, but it's also, quite frankly, it's practical. It's practical. This is very logical to live every day as if that is the day. Because this is the only thing that will stand the test of time. You know, it's crazy to me that these men, or women, I guess, they earn all this money and then they die. And so what they do when they die is they name a building after themselves and they they plaster a plaque on this building that's only going to be there until somebody else buys the building or until somebody who has a good Google account finds something in their past that then makes them canceled. So they have to remove their name from the building and they put somebody else's name on it until 30 years from now, where instead of Google, we have zippity-bop-top, and they find something about that person, and then they cancel that person. And instead, this is the only thing that's going to last. Build with precious metal, not with hay or straw or stubble. And also, if you are saved, this is practical, because truthfully, if we're honest, this is your heart's desire. Why would you deny your heart's, your heart's desire? It says in Psalm 48, I delight in your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I believe if you're truly saved, it is your heart's desire to do the will of God. And that we, we fail and so we feel guilty, and rightly so, because that means the Holy Spirit and our conscience is working properly. So not only is it wise to live every single day as if that's the day, but it's also practical. It's also practical because this is the only thing that's required of us. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? That's the only thing he wants anyway. And so living every single day as if that is the day that Jesus is coming back is wise, it is practical, and if that's not enough for you, dearly beloved, then it is commanded. Did you know that? Like, uh, I mean, this, this is a necessity to us. And I think we go about our daily routines and we, we forget that. He has commanded us to do this by his person. John 13, uh, 13 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. That's right after washing their feet. He says, this is commanded living for you. He's commanded it by his person. He's commanded it by his presence. Hebrews 12, 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he's commanded it to us by his promises. All authority has been given to me, and so therefore I tell you, go. 
which you've, if you've been to pastors before, they tell you about the Greek and how that's whatever that is in the Greek and how it means as you're going and it's a continuous process and all that stuff. So living every single day as if that is the day that Jesus is going to come back is wise, it is practical, and again, if that's not enough for you, that is exactly what he commands, and what the New Testament writer, and I know there's other of them, but Paul, the primary writer of the New Testament, it is exactly how he lives his life and how he assumes that the early church should be living, isn't it? It's the way that all the great patriarchs lived their life. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day of your salvation. And so lastly, the final head of our message this morning is this. We don't know the day or the hour. Therefore, live every single day. Why? Because when he returns, our destinies will be sealed. That'll be it. It'll be over. The final curtain. And that's it. And so you can look with me then at chapter 25. Chapter 25, 31 through 34, and then again in verse 41. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, he will gather all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we don't know the hour of which he's coming. Therefore, we should live every single day as if it is that day. Why? Because when he does come, our destinies are sealed. Firstly, because his judgment is final. He is able to judge and be the final judge because he is fully human. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, if you go into a courtroom and there's uh, some big thing that's on, on session right now, some kid named Kyle did something somewhere and now he's on trial. I don't know the in and outs of it. If you watch the news, I suppose that you do. That man, his judgment is fallible. He is an imperfect man. He makes mistakes. He might hear something wrong. He might read something wrong. He might misunderstand an argument. He might have a bias or an agenda. By the way, so do all we. Keep your stones to yourself, okay? Jesus is fully human. But not only is he fully human, he's full deity. So his judgments are pure. They are right. They are accurate. And they will stand. Jesus has the unique ability to make a claim over us that we cannot refute because he understands us 
intrinsically. That's what Hebrews 4.15 is talking about here. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, how many respects? All of them, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that is why when he comes, our destinies are sealed, because he is going to say, what case can you make? What excuse can you give? What can you possibly think that I don't understand about your story when I make this judgment, is what Jesus is going to say. And so his judgment is official because he's fully human to be able to understand us all together, and he is fully God. And therefore his official final judgment is that of all. He is no respecter of kinds or types or nationalities or skins or religions of man he wants you and it is only through Christ that we are saved and so he says in verse 31 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne you see fully God fully man and he says before him all the nations are going to be gathered And he's going to separate them. And he's not going to separate them by anything other than if they are his or if they are not. And that is what a shepherd does. And so in the end, when our account is settled, we have no more that we can possibly add. Not that we can really add anything to it currently. When he comes, our hearts are going to be laid bare and exposed because he knows our inmost thoughts, our inmost deeds. He even knows when we do something good, but it's for the wrong motives. And it's at that point that we will reap exactly what we have sown for good or evil. And all mankind, both small and great, will be held there. And then, at the end of this, it says that our destination is final. He says in the text that there are only two destinations. And people don't like to talk about this because it makes them feel bad. Everybody, in fact, all dogs go to heaven, right? Well, that's not what Jesus says. I don't know what he says about dogs. We're talking about people. And what he says here is there's only two destinations. There's only two destinations for people. One is eternal bliss with belonging and blessedness. And the other is eternal bondage in burning and bitterness. There's either heaven or there's hell. There's no intermediary area. There's no purgatory. There's no reincarnation. There's no second chances. Hebrews tells us it is appointed for a man to die once and then comes judgment. And so what Jesus is saying here is, there are only two options. And so when his judgment is final, so is our destination. He tells us also there are only two types of people. People who are on the right and people who are on the left. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about sheep and goats. I'm talking about people who have been bought by the blood of the lamb and who are a member of his household because he has adopted you as a child. And people who he says, I don't know you. You don't belong to me. And so I want to end by simply making my statement again and, and saying this. The two parables that he gives here. He gives one of the ten virgins. Five have enough oil, five don't. He gives a parable of the three laborers. Two use their talents and work the way that they're supposed to, and one does not. 
I told you a story of how I almost missed my flight. And the point of all of these is, I don't want you to miss yours. Jesus gives us a wake-up call. Beloved, today is your wake-up call. The exact time of his return is unknowable. Therefore, we must live every single day as if it were today because when he returns, our destinies will be sealed, either for good or ill. James tells us that our time is but a vapor. Let your vapor be a fragrant offering of incense rather than just a puff of steam. Buy your oil today. Invest your talents today. Wake up. Let's pray. God our Father, you have told us in your word that without your Son, Jesus, without your Spirit, we are not only asleep, we are deaf, we are blind, we are dumb, we are dead. So God, we need more than just a wake-up call. We need your Spirit. And so for those of us who are here this morning, who are listening to this message, who uh, feel our hearts pricked by this and want that wake-up call, let us first start by coming then to the cross. Let us first start by receiving Christ Jesus. Let us first start by having his blood be the payment for us so that he might be able to say to us, come to me, you who are blessed. You see, your word has told us this morning that there is a preparation taking place, a preparation of heaven. You have told us you are going to go there to prepare a place for us, that you will come and receive us to yourself, but only for those who actually belong to you. But there is another preparation taking place. And you love us so much, you wanted none of us to go there. In fact, in your word, you have told us that this preparation was not for us, but for Satan and his angels. That's who it was prepared for. But yet, because of your holy and righteous standards, you have no choice but to send those who are not cleansed by you there. And so while some of us have already received this salvation by Christ Jesus, are feeling the prick of our consciences to make sure that we are awake and watching and working by you, for you, to you, through you that there are also some, Lord, who just simply need you. And so, God, all of us together, by faith, we ask you would direct our eyes toward heaven, toward you, that that incomprehensible power, which is to be manifested in the last days by Christ, might be manifest in us today that even though right now we are trapped in these bodies of death, that we have a hope that you will be our Redeemer and that we might enjoy that redemption of which you have paid for and promised us to. So God, keep us awake. Keep us aware. Keep us living every single day as if that were the day that you were coming. For those of us who don't know you, God, we want to receive you now. We want to have you now. We want to accept you now. And so, God, we say we understand that we are sinners. We understand that we deserve to be cast aside from you, and instead we call out to you and we say, God, please save us. Forgive us for our sin. 
pay our penalty on the cross and bring us into your kingdom. And then we rejoice, God, because we know that your word has said that all those who believe in their heart that you have raised them from the dead, confess with their mouth that you are Lord, that they are saved, they are yours. And so it's in your name that we rejoice as your people looking forward to the time that you come back. In the meantime, as we stay awake, let us serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise.